0: There are six keys to a strong church I would like to share with you. There are hundreds, even thousands, tens of thousands of wonderful houses of worship all across this great country, all around the world, known as churches. Some large, some small. The most beautiful site in any community in this nation are houses of worship, churches based on Christian principles. Statues of famous persons that you see in communities, the stars on the sidewalks, maybe it's some celebrity. No, it is not them, but the people, places of worship that are our most favorite places we go. I know for me, whenever we go to a new town or area, I, just, I love seeing churches, especially evangelical churches. It is just the joy of my life. Now, some of those churches, to be honest, are growing and others are not growing. Some are languishing, some strong, and some weak. Now, the question I asked each of us this morning is, what kind of a church would we like to be part of? Do we want to be part of a strong church or a weak church? Well, I know you want to be part of a strong church. You're interested in the things of God, and that's why you're here this morning. And if by chance there are a few of you that are frankly not that interested, I tell you you should be. Because Jesus said, in this age, I will be building my church. He also said, I love my church. Now if Jesus is building the church, and if he loves the church, certainly even with its imperfections, we ought to do the same. The perfect church. I think that I shall never see a church that. All it ought to be. A church that has no empty pews, whose preacher never has the blues. A church whose deacons always deacon, proud or none, but all are meek. Or are always sweet and kind and to others false. If you could find the perfect church without one fault or smear, for goodness sake, don't join that church. You'd spoil the atmosphere. Of course, there is not a perfect church. That's simple to discern you and I, and all of us, could cause the time to So let's pray this morning as we talk about this church that Jesus is living. Jesus, we love you, we thank you for the privilege, and it is a privilege for you. It is my life's vision and passion. Thank you. I pray that, Lord, you would help us as we continue to be laborers and of the church in Christ's name. Open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, please. Chapter 16, Matthew is the Messiah Gospel. It is the first of the New Testament books, also the first of the Gospels. It is the first of the synoptic Gospels. It is written mainly for the Jewish members. In it, there are 140 direct quotes and allusions to the Old Testament. About six months before the crucifixion of our Lord, Matthew 16 is the setting. He had been tutoring for the Vikings. This wonderful school of prophets, he had been with them for about three years. Examination day is now here. It's time for your test, guys. And so he sits them down and he asks them a question. That's the backstory. Let's read it Matthew 16, verses 13 and following. Let's read it out loud. There is great blessing in reading out loud the word of god so let's read it together ready begin when jesus came into the coast of caesarea philippi he asked his disciples saying whom do men say that i the son of man am and they said some say that thou art john the baptist some elias and others jeremiah or one of the prophets he saith unto them but whom say ye that i am Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's there with his disciples. It's examination time. First question, oral exam. He is attempting to engage them, to embolden them. Now, gentlemen, who do people say that I am? How oh, they respond with various viewpoints we've heard kicked around. Then old John the Baptist. They said, "Maybe that's who they say you are." John the Baptist, that amazing man who shook faith religion to its core. That's who they thought maybe he was. In fact, um, he is uh, John the Baptist, a martyr. Jesus was the a martyr? Others said Elijah. That's who people are saying you're like. You're like that old testament miracle, Jesus certainly was a miracle worker, and to add to the support for that viewpoint, even the book of Malachi begins with that promise in chapter 3 that I will send a messenger to prepare the way. An Elijah-type person. Others said, you look like Jeremiah. Why? Jeremiah was a weeping person. Jesus ministered with a broken heart. You know, we never find any place in Scripture where Jesus said he laughed. There's a lot of places where he was grieved or he wept. Our Lord was a weeping prophet. The second question Jesus then asked, even more crucial than the first one, not do what everybody else believes. but what do you believe? Who do you say that I am? Sort of an ordination council question for these young preachers, mostly disciples, were all in their 20s, maybe one or two were a little bit older. Well, I'm not sure that they all had any answer any better than, uh, than Peter. But if you don't have an answer to this, you're going to wash out. You're going to wash out quicker than, as my mom used to say, jackpot. I'm not sure what that means, but they're going to they're gonna mess it up if they don't have an answer to who they represent. Simon Peter answered. He gets an A-plus that day. He nails it. Thou art the Christ, that is the Greek form, Christa, of the Messiah, of the Hebrew word for the Messiah. You are the Messiah. You are Christ. You are God. You are the Son of God. You are God in the flesh. Jesus commends Peter. Then he clarifies the situation. He said, absolutely you're right. And I must tell you that what answer you just gave, I don't mean to come down on you here, but that answer you just gave is a God answer. You had some help on your answer. And thank God for the accuracy and the clarity of that amazing answer. And what Jesus said. He said, flesh and blood. No flesh and blood revealed this to you. This was something from God Himself. And then Jesus gave this amazing step-by-step plan for this following age. The age we're in today still, 2,000 years later almost, we're still in that same age. And so the things that He gave them are the things that we are following. These are the principles of the church age, and He gives five parts of that church. Let me give them to you. First of all, the foundation of the church. Then the formation, the fellowship, the future, and the function. All right, number one, verse 18, the foundation of the church. Now, in this verse, he begins by drawing his hearers in by the use of a word picture. Notice what he says unto him. Thou art Peter. Now, if someone looked at you and said, you are Tim. Then get so, this is not just Jesus saying, I just found out your name is Peter. He's saying, you are Peter. And he uses the Greek word... Petros Petros means a boulder or a piece of rock. He said, Peter, you are a chip off the old block. And it's true. Peter had become such a solid believer. He was strong like the real rock. Yet, churches need more strength in their leadership than just a chip off the old block. And so Jesus said to him, he said, you are Peter, Petros. You're a ship off the old block. You're a a small rock. But then he uses another word. He said, and upon this Peter. Actually, if you looked at it, it would be, thou art Peter, and upon this Peter. It's the same translation, really, but it's a little different Greek word. Petros is the first one, and Petra is the second one, which means dead rock. Or foundation. So he said, Peter, you are going to be a rock in the formation and the foundation of this early ministry. You're a chip off the old block, but you're still a stone. But if you want to know who the foundation of the church is, this is the foundation of the church. Well the Apostle Paul clarified that in first Corinthians chapter three and verse eleven. He said, For other foundations? Can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ? Yes, Jesus is the foundation of the church. Him, writer said it best. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. This church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. The foundation of this church is not Joseph Smith. It's certainly not Buddha or Mohammed or even the Apostle Paul. These are only Petrasas. There is one Petra. There is one real Peter. There is one foundation, and that is Jesus Christ. If you want to be a strong church, you have to be a Jesus church that sings about Jesus and holds up Jesus and honors Jesus. A dear little Christian lady lay dying. The loved ones gathered around her in the hospital room. Thought perhaps she was in a coma. And imagined that somehow she couldn't hear them seemed to be very little vital signs, and so they said to one another, She's sinking. She's sinking now. This week, Christian sister opened her eyes and looked up at them and said, I'm not sinking. How can anybody sink through a solid rock? And folks, you can't sink through a rock when your life and your ministry is based on Jesus. Make no mistake about it. Underneath all that we do here at the home church, there is one and only one foundation, and that is the honor and glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The foundation of the church. Number two, the formation of the church. How is it constructed? Not with concrete and steel and wood and with fabric. No, the foundation of the church. Upon this rock, verse 18, I will build. I will build. That ongoing building, by the way, is the word building, not just build. It's ongoing in its uh, grammar there. On this rock, Jesus, I will be building and building and building my church. The Greek word "ekklesia" comes from two Greek words, ek and kaleo. Ek which means out of, kaleo, called. And it also senses means assembly, called out of the world, assembled together. Jesus looks into this whole world and calls to each and every person and says to them, I am not willing that any should pass. And if you receive that call, you answer that call, and you respond to that call, you are separated from the world unto Christ. By the way, we know this to be true, but the world is a good place to be from and not in, for sure. I talked to a man the other day, and I said, where are you from? He said, Minnesota. He said, it's 20 below right there. And he said, I'm glad I'm from there and not there for sure. The foundation of the church, the formation of the church, number three, the fellowship of the church. I will build my church, verse 18, my church, my body, my bride, my building. Notice the incredible connection. There's a blood connection that we have with Jesus. We're part of this family. The church of Jesus Christ is intimately involved with Jesus Christ. It is who we are. We are in Christ. And Christ is in us. In Matthew chapter 18, verse number 20, Jesus was preaching in children's church, by the way. And he said, For where two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of this. Yes, we know that God is omnipresent and he's everywhere all the time. So why would Jesus say specifically that when you gather together, I'm there in the midst? He said there is a unique presence when people gather together in person. There's a feeling, there's a presence that comes like no other than when we are in church. Because when we're there together in the name of Jesus, He's there. Jesus is in church. I once read, Several years ago, I remember reading a story about a man. They lived in Washington, D.C. He called the pastor of one of the churches there and said, I'm told that the President of the United States is going to be in your services this morning. Is that correct? I'd like to be there. The pastor said, well, no, I'm not sure where you got that information. No, the President is not going to be here. But the King of Kings will be here, and that ought to be good enough for us. And I tell you, folks, when we come to church, we are here in the presence of the king of kings. And if you heard that the president was going to be here, let's go on down to the church house. But you won't be here for Jesus being here, folks. you got some strange and woke priorities. Number four, the future of the church. The gate of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse number 18. Now, some people suggest that that means that the future of the church is secure and will survive. Which is true. Some suggest that that would uh, be referring to the divine perpetuity that God promises the church. By the way, that's true. He never promised that to a Bible college. Never promised that to an orphanage. Never promised that to any other group but the church. There is a divine perpetuity, for sure. But that's not even what this is meaning. Actually, what it is meaning here, remember now, the gates of a city are not, uh, they are defensive weaponry, not offensive. And so, it's not that the church is gathered inside of a city and hunkered down and we've got these real solid gates out there that are protecting us. It's the exact opposite. The Bible says that the church is storming the gates. We are storming the gates. And notice what it says. What gates are we storming? We are storming the gates of hell. That's the Greek word Hades, actually the word for death. God said that the church of Jesus Christ is a militant body who is out there. It is storming the very gates of death and redeeming people. And that's why God said He has to give us these keys. Now, folks, in the midst of all the things going on in this world, It is a great, wonderful truth of that that the church is out there breaking people out of darkness and setting people free. I so enjoyed that first chorus. It was crazy upbeat. I loved it. Because it's true. People are being set free and the chains are being broken. And it's so biblical because the church is storming the gates of Hades, literally. Death. And people are set free because... We are, have been all bit by the, uh, the snake of, of sin. And because of that, we need the we need the redemption store. We need the good news. We need the medicine of Jesus. And so, the church, we have a great future because we are the ones setting people free. And then the function of the church. What is now the purpose in light of our the function, in light of our... Foundation, in light of our fellowship, what should be our function? Verse 19, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, keys. What are these keys that have been given to the church? Biblical, historical scholars say that in that day it was not uncommon for the false religious leaders who had all the other kind of uh, external uh, religious paraphernalia they would wear. One of the things that, that they would often wear is a set of keys. It was symbolic. It was the sense that they held the keys of knowledge. In fact, there were even little ceremonies where a senior rabbi would give a junior rabbi keys to indicate that they had the knowledge to help people. In their community. Unfortunately, those false teachers did exactly the opposite. They locked up the truth and threw away the keys. But what did Jesus say? What he said was that we, as the church, as spiritual priests and kings unto the Lord, we have been given keys to set people free. What is, what and what are those keys that bind, that the devil and find the the sin and find all the stuff going on in this world and set people free. That is the fruit of the gospel. How do we know that? Because Jesus is saying here that when you give people the gospel, God validates it in heaven. It is validated by God. That means it's biblical. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 15.31 And thou shalt be saved. The church has the keys to death. The church has been given the keys to life. What are the keys? The gospel, the blessed word of God, saving knowledge in Jesus. We stand here today unashamedly for freedom. Freedom from government overreach and freedom from medical tyranny and freedom from socialism spread. But the key to America's crime problem is the gospel. The key to America's moral oblivion is the key of the gospel. The hope this morning is not in the White House, but in the church house. And we have those keys, and God said, I want you to go out and use them. What are then the six keys that I would like to say, I believe, from Scripture, are the most important keys for a Church. Here they are. God's picture. Six decades of observation, participation, sometimes, yes, frustration. Let me share them with you. Number one, a spirit directed leadership. After Jesus resurrected from the dead, he told his disciples, he said, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. They needed to be empowered and enabled and energized. Same thing is true today. Nothing has changed. No staff, no pastor, no deacon, no church is adequate to do the work of God unless they are filled with the Spirit. of God. That's what God told the church of Ephesus in chapter 2 of Revelation. He spoke to the angel. That's the pastor. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7. He that, said, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The Spirit speaks to the church. And he said, I want you to go out there, and I want you to be prayed up, filled up, fessed up. I want you to go out and do the work of God. Spirit-filled, Spirit-directed leadership. Pray that God would power the Holy Spirit. By the way, thank you for praying for us as leaders. I know so many people tell me they pray. Sometimes people say, I pray for you daily. Thank you. Spirit-directed leadership. Number two, a Bible-based message. Badly many people go to church week after week and don't even have Bibles. I mean, how in the world can people go to church and not need their Bibles? I mean, Bibles come in all kinds of forms. Big Bibles, small Bibles, electronic Bibles. But in some churches, if I asked people to turn to the book of Habakkuk, they would look at me like I was talking Klingon or something like, what in the world? No, the Bible... Churches ought to be Bible faith, This is God's handbook. And if we are not based on the Word of God, then we're not talking about fiction. In fact, we're talking about fiction. Great, phenomenal Apostle Paul, one day was out in Greece. By the way, thank God for that Middle Eastern crescent of churches. Greece and Italy and Turkey and there in Israel about 2,000 years ago. Man, they were missionary churches. There in A church church in Berea, Acts chapter 17, verse 11. They were more noble than all the others. They received the Word with readiness of mind and searched Scriptures daily. Folks, churches ought to preach the Bible and preach the Word. And folks ought to check it out while the preacher is preaching. Any church which compromises the Word of God is a weak church. It really doesn't even classify as a church if it's not standing on the Word of God. Neville Chamberlain was the Prime Minister of England right before World War II. He was known, well known for his policy of appeasement. Hitler was an overrunning Europe. Chamberlain did not want his war-weary Britain, fellow Britons to have to confront Hitler. And so in September of 1938, he reached an agreement with Hitler known as the Munich Pact. Italy and France joined in. Their agreement was, we will give you parts of Czechoslovakia, but you agree to not take any other part of Europe. Hitler was happy to sign it, and he then absolutely turned right around and did exactly what he said he wasn't going to do. And that concept of the Munich Pact became a symbol of failure of the policy of compromising with evil. Folks, true righteousness can never yield to evil. People say the church needs to change with the times. People say the Bible needs to be updated. No, the world needs to change. The church doesn't need to change. And the Bible doesn't need to change. The world needs to get back to what the Bible is. The Bible stands to so the hills make them. The Bible stands though the earth may crumble. I will plant my feet on its firm foundation, like a mighty rock undaunted midst the raging storms of time. The Bible stands eternal and glows with a light sublime. It will stand each test we give it, for its author is divine. God will give me strength to live and prove it and make it mine. The Bible stands. A prayer emphasized ministry. The third key. In the 6th chapter of Ephesians, verse 18, God said we must pray always with all supplication, watching even into the night. That's what that means. Sleeplessness with all perseverance and supplication. Why does God use all these all? Because, folks, we're not going to make it as a couple, as an individual, as a family, as a church. In this world, we're not going to make it unless we pray. Why do we need to pray? Why? Why? Because, number one, there's a devil. Number one, there's a devil and he never rests. And he is plotting constantly to destroy us. Not only is there a devil, but because there is a demand. There are so many needs. And we must do what we can to make a difference. James chapter 4 says it clearly. We have not because we ask. Oh, what we could accomplish this year if we would just pray. Folks, please, I beg you, let's pray together out in the lobby, here in the church, at home, sleepless nights at times. That's a form of fasting. Number four, a Christ-packed worship. So often I hear people say, let's get your praise on. And I am happy for those little happy worship leaders who say that. I know they probably mean well, but I will tell you, we're not supposed to get our praise on. We're supposed to walk into church with our praise. Already all just prayed up, Bibled up, and bring it together. We ought to bring it together. That just uh, emphasizes the energy in the services and the intensity of the wonderful musical instrument. It's glory. That's why David in First Chronicles chapter 16 said, Give Him glory. Do His name. Bring an offer. Come before Him and worship together. I wonder about people who don't like to sing. I just kind of wonder, what's your problem? Why don't you want to sing? I know some men kind of think it's not a manly thing. Some ladies, oh, I guess feel like it's, it's uh, too dignified. I don't know what it is, but folks, we ought to sing. Young people, sing from the top of your lungs. they just just singing out for the Lord. Number five, a free-handed giving. The fifth key is a free-handed giving. We never put pressure on anybody to give to the Lord's work around here. And I'm not afraid to put on pressure. The fact of the matter is, I don't think I want to do that. These uh, so-called churches, and internet and online teachers and TV thing, folks that say things like, just put a little donation in. Whatever, you know, uh, you feel to, Folks, I believe if you are obedient to the Lord, you will give. We owe our life to Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 8, Freely you have received, freely give. Some people say, I've got to tithe. Boy, you go to that church, you've got to tithe. Folks, you don't have to tithe. You can be disobedient and not tithe. The fact of the matter is, you get to tithe. It is a privilege to give to the Lord's work. And, American people, we have all these blessings, and we can't even give 10%, really? you realize the average American lives better than 90% of the world? That's exactly what I read this week. According to Credit Suite, they said that a net worth of 93,000 is enough to make you richer than 90% of the world. Many parts of the world, especially in Africa and some of the other poor nations, live on $500 a year. And yet Americans have all this stuff. And, I mean, they spend $500 a year on going down to Starbucks. Folks, I think we can give to the Lord's work. The devil's crowd wants an anemic church. They want us to base our finances on gimmicks and bingo and some denomination, some foundation. I thank God for the home church people. You are 10-plusers. You believe in giving 10% plus. You realize last year our tithes and offerings went up over 30%. Last year, our giving to the building program, almost $250,000. Last year, missions, over $200,000. Folks, I'm telling you what, I thank God for the generous, God-honoring people of the home church. Praise the Lord. Well, not only a giving church, but finally, a strategically organized church has a goal. Sometimes people say, I'm not into organized religion. You're stupid. You are stupid. You know you're lying. Through your teeth, you're lying. You love everything in the world to be organized. You like the restaurant to be organized. You want your business to be organized. You want everything organized, but when you come to church, I don't want to organize. Translated means you don't want anybody pressuring you or this or that or whatever. Come on. You know. That churches are a body, and a body has to be organized. I mean, if your body is not organized, it's crazy. That's why we believe in the simple organization of the church given to us. Looking in chapter 1, verse number 1, Paul and Timotheus, servants of Jesus Christ. Look at the three groups with saints, to the saints, with the bishops and the deacons. There's the three groups in the church. Too much hierarchy and too much of uh, organization and it's a bureaucracy. not enough and it's disorganized. Successful American pastor, late Dr. Adrian Rogers, said a strong church is pastor-led, deconserved, and ministry or saint run. Collectively here in this church, as Pastor Luke said earlier, hundreds, thousands of hours, tens of thousands of dollars go into this ministry. Why? Because it is the most important ministry of the world. And the biggest job, strong churches are organized biblically, not corporately. Now, I'm a couple minutes late, but I think this uh, is important enough to share with you. I want you to listen. These are prayer requests. Someone a few uh, months ago asked me this question. I, I had share just a couple of thoughts of things maybe we'd like to do someday. I think that spurred them to ask the question, which you don't want to ask. Pastor, Actually, you won't ask me that. But, um, he said, Pastor, if money were no object and time were no object, what would you like to see on the first year? Well... And so here now is my answer to that, and there's probably more, but here are a couple of personal prayers I'd like you to pray for. First of all, first of for our health, our family, well, would you pray that God would help me finish my book on the attributes of God based on the sermon series, His God? I would like this book to finish soon, maybe by the end of the year, but I'd like it to be a perfect book <laughs> in the sense of it's well done but I would ha- like to have it in such a binding that it would be like a tabletop book. I mean, worthy of a book on the attributes of God. We need to pray for support staff in our church, in our school, Of course, at some point, I know that we'll want to add uh, missionaries and pastoral staff, but I have divided these goals into two goals, long-term and then second of all, legacy. Some of these perhaps will come sooner than later long-term. Number one, I am praying, would you join me, that we would have an expanded, supported, and sent mission. I see all these wonderful young people around here, and I get so excited for what it means both globally and locally and nationally. The second one is radio. Via broadcast, via internet, via satellite, or whatever other way, we have been So blessed with these amazing facilities and uh, equipment that really hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment. Let's use it. A TV ministry. Not really saying it was ready to go right out the gate, but I would say this. Despite all the access that's out there for TV preaching, it is actually, you have to search to find a consistent, faithful, well balanced. Biblical teaching and preaching. It's kind of crazy. But I think it would be such a blessing, especially if we could have that in such a way that local people could log on to that. The next one I'm praying for is a growing podcast audience. Perhaps the most versatile of all mediums, whether you're in your home or on the go, public or private, it is absolutely one of the most powerful and useful channels for God's work. Another thing I'm praying for is a saturated direct mail ministry. You know, with all the other things going on in the world, there's one medium that still gets every home, and that is the mail. People fall through the cracks, and we saw how powerful this was this last year, as we had four or five different mailings. praying for us, that we can get it to every home. And then a strong online person. As you know, the eighty-five percent of Americans go online daily. Thirty-one percent of Americans say they're on the internet constantly. Here's what I would like: I would like when someone types in God, Bible, Jesus, church, and they live within thirty minutes of here, if they type in those words, that it would say, "Go to the home church." Now, that actually takes a little bit of money, and that's possible. Google and others have ways of channeling that. And it takes, uh, I've heard it takes at least $1,000 a month just to get started to make something like that. And then some have wondered, what does the future look like? And so, this is a goal, this legacy type goal, big, generational, and that is, I believe that at some point, we're going to have to expand our property footprint. Now, I know the auditorium, the building we have here, is good for the time. with empty seats. When I look at all these children, the young people coming up, I'm telling myself maybe even this building would be okay for a time, maybe even a generation. But here's what I'm sure of. I'm sure that 12 acres is too small to do all, to do all that I would love God to do. I just, you say, well, what would that mean, Pastor? Think of the expanded educational, from pre-K to even perhaps up to the college, a music school, a language school, maybe a retreat, even perhaps living quarters. One of the things that's been in my mind, and a school of the prophets, kind of a 12 disciples, where you could train them teach them, and send them out. Folks, here's what I know. There's some property here at the home church, north, south, east, or west. I'm not sure which way is going to be what the Lord opens up. But here's what I'd like you to pray with us. Would you pray that somewhere along the line, God would open up some property so that we could expand our footprint so that we could then expand and do the work of God. Just pray. Right. That's all I'm asking. Folks, as I mentioned earlier, thank God for the New Testament churches. you know that those churches in Greece, in Turkey, in Asia Minor as it was called then, in Israel, Northern Egypt, even into Italy, those churches, even a few in Spain, that little crescent there, do you know, because of them, we're sitting in church today? Do you realize that they reached out? Do you know that we've been reached? We're, we're the result of a missionary that reached out to the world. So let's do the same. Let's take the gospel to the world. People say, uh, you know, evangelicalism is a Western religion. Are you kidding me? It in in the Middle East. It is from Jesus. We are all the result. Folks, my uh, ancestors were hanging from trees, crazy people, hiding in the swamps of Scotland and wherever else. I mean, thank God for somebody that went and reached them to Jesus Christ. The church, Rome tried to destroy them, the Jews tried to corrupt them, and the world tried to ignore them. But the church of Jesus kept on going. Now, finally, I give you two questions this morning. The first question is this. What are you doing to contribute to the strength of your church? What are you going to do this year to the, contribute to the strength of your church? And second of all, if others in this church followed your path, would our church be weak, or would it be strong? Here's the commitment I'd like to ask you to do. That's To the best of your ability, the best of your time and your money, the best you can, under God, that you would say, I would do what I can to make this a strong church. If that's what you're going to say this morning, there are a couple of things I would say that would mean. Number one, it would mean I'm going to befriend the church of Jesus Christ. It would mean, number two, that I'm going to attend the church of Jesus Christ. It means I'm going to defend the church I'm going to commend the church. And finally, with God's help, I'm going to extend to the church. Let's all stand together, be with me, I work the team. I'm going to ask you to go. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California,